This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome back to another season of Driven by Data, the podcast, powered by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. So here we are, season three of Driven by Data, the podcast. I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, season three. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Paul Evangelista, who is the Chief Data Officer at the United States Military Academy at West Point. So, Paul, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Kyle. No, it's a it's a privilege and honor to be here. Now, the 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 pleasure is is all ours, Paul. So, um, where we always start is by asking our guests to give themselves a brief introduction into their background and journey up until this point, uh, if you'd be so kind. Sure. No, I'd be happy to. So, again, thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, so, I'm a Paul Evangelista, Chief Data Officer at the United States Military Academy at West Point. I'm also a, a Colonel in the United States Army, an active duty Colonel. Um, you know, I started my Army career as an engineer officer. I was commissioned as an engineer officer in 1996 from West Point um, and served in a lot of the traditional roles, um, mostly on the combat engineering um, side of things. Uh, approximately seven to eight years into my uh, career as an engineer officer, I was afforded the opportunity to go to, uh, to graduate school. Um, so I went to graduate st- school and I uh, studied uh, operations research and statistics. Um, and then ultimately uh, pursued a, a PhD that focused on machine learning. Um, and this was back in the early 2000s. And, uh, you know, my advisors, Mark Embrex and uh, Bolek Szymanski were kind of at the, the forefront of something back then. And uh, you didn't hear about it in uh, the news and the radio advertisements and all that stuff like you do today. Um, but uh, that's uh, uh, that was that was one of my first introductions to uh, to data and, and data science and, and what was in the realm of possible there. I taught here at West Point for um, a few years back then, and then I transitioned in the West Point or transitioned in the Army to um, a career field called Operations Research and Systems Analysis. Uh, so that's a career field that's existed in the Army for uh, quite some time, um, I, you know, several decades at least. Uh, and and it's, it, that career field is all about uh, trying to underpin strategic decisions with analysis. And much of that analysis is oftentimes uh, data and data driven. Uh, spent some time in that career field. Uh, and then a few years after that, uh, came back here uh, to teach again, this time as a, an academy professor, which is a bit more of a permanent role at, uh, at West Point. Taught in the Department of Systems Engineering um, for several years, and I think it was in uh, yeah it was in uh, the spring of 2021 is when they off- they asked me uh, to serve in this position as a chief data officer. West Point never had a chief data officer prior um, to 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 me. Um, I'm I'm the first one, 
Um, and they, they carved out a small staff from folks that, uh, that you know, they had on, on the staff that uh, had some, 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 uh, some data awareness, allowed me to hire as well. And um, since that time, uh, we've, we've been operating what we refer to as the Office of Data and Analytics at, at West Point. Um, we, I report directly to the chief of staff and, um, you know, we, we, uh, we support the superintendent's decisions and as many key decisions as we can across the academy. So nice. that's just a brief background of, of me and where I've been. Nice. Well, that's uh, that's some some journey, uh, I guess, to go from a, an engineer in the military to uh, a PhD in machine learning is probably not the most traditional of <laughs> of, of, of routes, but um, there you go. It's, it's taken you to where you are now. So um, obviously, you know, a, a large part of our listenership, Paul, is based in the US. So I'm not going to ask you to tell us about the United States Military Academy, because I think that's fairly obvious. But what might be useful for our listeners is to uh, understand from you, I guess, the, the whole kind of uh, complexity of West Point, I know it's a real iconic, you know, I've lived in the States on two separate occasions. So I appreciate that that West Point is kind of seen um, as, a, as a real badge of honor. Just give us a bit of insight into how all that kind of fits together for anyone that isn't familiar, if you would. Sure. No, I'd be, I'd be happy to. And, and uh, you know, it's it's something that we um, carefully think through here and, and, and design is, you know, who, who we are and who we want to be. Um, so, you know, West Point is the premier leader development institution in the world. That's the vision. And, and, and I think that we stand on pretty solid ground and, uh, and making that claim. Um, and we are um, laser focused on developing uh, future leaders for our army. And, and it's, it's focusing on developing leaders of character primarily. So much of what we do, um, many folks would say everything that we do here is all about developing character developing character in our cadets so that the, when they graduate, you know, they're in the, the, the best position um, and have been shaped in the best way possible uh, to serve in our army as, as officers. Um, you know, West Point obviously has a very interesting history. Uh, um, you know, quickly uh, give you a rundown of that, but it's, 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 it's interesting enough to, I think, be mentioned for sure. Once uh, upon a time, we were a revolutionary war um post is, is what we were and it was uh you know this this point that we're at the west point was identified by george washington as a key terrain uh to to help defend uh the hudson river uh the east side of the hudson river was referred to as uh new england everything east of uh, the hudson river um and they were sympathetic to uh to the british cause and then everything to the south west was referred to as the south so that's why West Point is geographically where it is. And then in 1802, uh, Thomas Jefferson decided that we needed a, um, an engineering school for our military officers. So it was originally founded to um, support the development of engineers. Hmm. And then through the years, we've turned into um, more of what we are today, which is um, you know, a leader development institution to commission officers for our army. Yeah. Nice, nice. Um, and I guess in terms of your role, obviously, as chief data officer, um, I'm not going to ask you to outline, you know, the, the role and responsibilities, but more along the lines of, you know, what what's the purpose of you being there in terms of how, the, um, you know, the institution uses data in terms of, you know, what you're being expected to achieve through through your team and the capability that you're building? 
I would say the one sentence answer to that is we're, we're responsible for, for data engineering and all innovation related to data. Uh, so that that's what we focus on on a, on a day-to-day basis. So we have everything from kind of your, I would consider it your traditional rudimentary um, engineering, archiving, organizing functions to innovation where we're trying to make sure that we're staying as current as possible with uh, technology. Um, we're trying to take advantage of any technology opportunities that exist that we recognize uh, can, can help us. And then with that, um, we're very, uh, very focused on making sure that all of that is, is integrated with the uh, decisions that we support across West Point. So, I mean, there's, there's, there's three functions that, that we have organized ourselves, ourselves across. Um, the first function involves supporting uh, unstructured strategic decisions. So that's something that, you know, I would say that, that the Army has done for a long time with horses. Um, and we're, we, we want to do as well with, um, you know, data analytics, make the best decisions possible and underpin those decisions with data. So we, we've spent some time with that. The second function, which I consider to be honestly the most exciting and important function that we, we focus on, is all about empowering leaders at all levels with data and analytics. So there's, only, there's obviously only so many uh, decisions that we can support. There's only so many studies that we can perform in the, in the shop that we have here. Um, so it's, it's, it becomes much more powerful. And I think it's also much better for the institution and for the Army when we empower and allow uh, teach others how to make good decisions based on data, teach others what's in the realm of possible. Um, and, uh, and that's something that we've spent a lot of time trying to develop. Uh, there's, there's, there's two different communities that we, we focus on in that. We have what we call a community of users and a community of uh, developers, or I'm sorry, a community of contributors. Um, the users obviously are the ones that are, are consuming using the products that are providing us feedback. Community contributors, they're the ones that oftentimes are providing ideas. They may actually design something that, uh, that we end up implementing. So that's the, the second one, and that's, uh, that's one that I, I, um, I really enjoy participating in. It gets us across the institution. And then the third function that we focus on involves managing data risk. And, and obviously, everybody's familiar with all of the different security concerns that exist surrounding data. That's, part, that's a big part of it, without a doubt. That's a big part of it. Another big part of it, though, is making sure that any type of data that could be perishable, uh, we preserve and we archive well in an organized manner so that it can be found uh, in a future time. And then the third aspect of it, which is really a, quite a real, I would consider a, a creative and, 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 and requires much more thought uh, that involves anticipating data requirements. And I, I view that as a risk because you know a risk is is the possibility of a negative consequence. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to make sure that in the future we we don't have some kind of a negative consequence. We don't have some kind of a question that we're unable to answer because we didn't preserve data and anticipate something that what we could have anticipated today. Mm. So so those those are the three big functions and kind of the you know what we what we focus on on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, absolutely. I guess just merely out of curiosity, this question, but uh, obviously most of the guests that we have on this podcast come from the the commercial world, right? You know, they're working for some of the biggest brands out there. Um, I, I guess in terms of the competition of 
you know, using data and analytics and things like artificial intelligence in the, you know, governments and military world, is it as fiercely competitive as well? Is everyone, you know, trying to, but, you know, push the the boundaries of what's possible um, on, on that front? Um, I would say I wouldn't necessarily characterize it as, as competitive uh, because, you know, we, we, you know, across the government, we, we, we really do view ourselves as, as one team. And uh, when we have one organization, even one individual that, that achieves something, that realizes something, you know, in pursuit of their duties, you know, that's something that we can widely share. So, but I w- what I would say, though, is there's, there's definitely a, a very strong appetite um, to make sure that we're harnessing technology, that we're harnessing, um, you know, the, the most current knowledge possible. Uh, to, 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 to ensure that our decisions are, are strong and solid. And then um, really from a broader defense standpoint, uh, to make sure that our, our warfighting capabilities are as sharp as possible. Um, and if, it, if there's an advantage that we can gain through data, through artificial intelligence, that we have an awareness of what that advantage could possibly be and that we're, you know, we're, we're pursuing it. Yeah. Um, so that's in, 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 you know, so I guess from a, from a, uh, you know, a competitive point of view, um, you know, you could, you can almost think of um, the, the pursuit of this modernization is definitely, definitely can, can have a little bit of a kind of a competitive idea where there's, there's a, there's a sense of urgency to pursue and to make sure that we stay as current as possible and we leverage as much as we can. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes, uh, makes perfect sense. Um in terms of the journey that you've been on then just kind of walk us through um you know the the kind of data journey as it as it were in terms of you know the the United States military academy at west point um in terms of the the the, the change if you will of you know how the how you've gone about incorporating and leveraging data you know when where why why did it start why you know what what was the instigator behind this is something that we need to start focusing on Oh, sure. Yeah. It, um, you know, you could actually go back to uh, the early 1900s, quite frankly, when uh, West Point required uh, anybody that was nominated to, to come here to, uh, to complete a, an admissions exam uh, so, or, or an entry exam is what it was actually called. You know, and that was that was a matter of collecting data to try to understand the potential of somebody to succeed at West Point. Mm-hmm. And then to ultimately succeed uh, in the army, we've and there was obviously a, 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 you know just as every um, higher learning institution has done uh, an effort to continue that type of of um, you know data driven decision making, especially with uh, admissions. In the in the eighties, we started to collect um, a number of different records digitally. Um, and I've actually found some some 3.5 inch floppy disks between <laughs> different uh, elements of data and, and and surveys and and so forth. And uh, the uh, the data engineer that I work with, he actually describes um, the, the 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 data that we use, that the 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 database that we use is having three epochs. So there's almost like a an early 80s to late 90s epoch where we have some reasonable resolution on 
um, what the cadets achieved, um, what their majors were, you know, obviously they didn't graduate, didn't graduate. And then there's a, a, a second epoch, you know, really from the 90s until, you know, the early 2000s. And across that epoch, we started getting a little bit more refined information. We started archiving a lot more in terms of their admissions uh, data. And then the most recent epoch has much higher resolution data on um, admissions. We have, um, we, have, we have data on almost every single test that a cadet has ever taken at, uh, at West Point. Um, and then where we're growing into right now, and this, this is also a pretty exciting component of what we're doing, is we're reaching now into the Army and we're trying to understand the performance and characterization of our officers is in their service in the Army. And, and we want to we want to pull that whole string together from prior to ever even arriving at West Point to understanding performance at West Point and then understanding how that translates uh, into our army. You know, and when we can when we can tie that string together, all that's going to do is it's going to it's going to help us make better, better decisions about our people. And then the other thing it's going to do is it's going to help us make better decisions about the developmental programs that we have at West Point. What's contributing? What's a great indicator of future success? You know where we might see our graduates needing more development, um, and and those are the the places where uh, we expect some of this data analysis to to make a difference. Yeah, um, I guess in in the commercial world and setting, obviously the the reasons why organizations are doing this are are obvious. You know, glaringly obvious, right? You know, typically it's it's all about dollars and cents right normally you know it's reducing cost it's increasing revenues it's creating new products moving into new markets whatever the case may be but it, it typically all comes back to it's a some kind of money making or you know improving customer service and brand awareness and and things around that nature i guess in a non-commercial setting like you're based in what what do those metrics of success look like so I would say that uh, success for our office and and uh, the the um, those functions that I described to you to you previously, you know, I personally measure that as you know adoption of systems and analytics that we have built. So who's who's adopting these systems? Who's who's using these systems? And we have a number of different trackers that we use to try to understand. Um, who, who those, who that community is. Um, I mentioned growth of our community of users and community of contributors and the contributors especially is very important, uh, to, to us, I think, because that's, you know, when, when we talk about this whole concept of empowering leaders at all levels, um, they're the leaders of their organizations that are going to, they're going to teach other people how to fish. Yeah. They're going to be able to design solutions and they're just, they're not, the folks that are just solely looking for an answer. So the growth of that community of contributors is, is a big deal. And, um, you know, I measure that with, you know, different projects that we have uh, dedicated to them. You know, I can measure that through, you know, the number of uh, Databricks workspaces that we've stood up in support, you know, of those con that community of contributors, because that's the primary place where they're making their, uh, their contributions. Um, I also would say that, uh, you know, the number of key decisions that we underpin by data and analytics is another 
um, key metric. You know, it's it, when when we have senior leaders that are calling upon us uh, for for important answers. Uh, they, they 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 want us to 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 be in the room um, and and to 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 help them understand how they can make better decisions through data. Um, I think that's a that's a, a key metric as well. And then the same goes for organizations across the institution. When we have and, and this is this is something that's continuing to grow, where the you know the number of organizations that call upon us because they've recognized what we're capable of doing, and they ask us for you know, custom, some of these custom solutions that we've been able to build. Um, so th those are all, I would say, examples of um, what I would consider to be some some measures that I, I use, you know, kind of internally uh, to gauge, you know, how we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned kind of adoption and, and usage, because, again, in, in the commercial world, that's, you know, a topic that uh, dominates the headlines. Right. You know, there's all these stats and research being done around how, you know, many of these data and analytics initiatives in the commercial world, especially, you know, aren't aren't quite adding the value that we were expecting them to add or they were intended to add for for various reasons. But often that kind of comes back to this point of, you know, culture and adoption and literacy kind of all kind of weaved together um i guess in a an environment like the armed forces where you'll have a lot of very strong willed people and, and big kind of characters and, and and personalities have you had to kind of instill much cultural change towards you know this becoming the way of doing things now has that been a kind of a journey that you've been on or, or is it been something that's kind of you know just worked in terms of people getting on board with with, with the benefits right no that's a that's a i mean because culture is huge i mean if you don't have the culture that supports uh the the initiative um if you don't have the uh you know the, the executive and the leader support for the initiative the initiative's not gonna it's not gonna survive um, so we're very fortunate for a number of different reasons um, in terms of being in the line of work that we're in with uh, with data. And I also think, too, being in the type of organization that we're in. And, and so, you know, the number two priority of our uh, secretary of the Army focuses on improving um, our management of data and becoming more data centric. So, I mean, you can look it up. It's public information. You know, she's listed the priorities uh, that she wants to, to emphasize and becoming more data centric is, is number two. Uh, so across the Army, they've, they've recognized the importance of um, harnessing data to, to make better decisions. And I know that there's there's a lot of folks, um, you know, that, that maybe, you know, they, they have never um, you know, um, worked with or for, um, you know, the armed services. But one of the things that uh, might surprise a lot of people is how how innovative, how creative, and, and and oftentimes how much autonomy is given to to the sub organizations within the services. Uh, so that's the the organizational advantage that that I was mentioning before. So we 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 have the leader support. The leaders have recognized it. If you look at you look at some of these very significant investments and organizational changes that have taken place, such as the United States Army Futures Command, you know, and they have something within Futures Command, they call the software factory. Right? And the software factory is, is all about trying to leverage technology and data to, to improve uh, decisions. So the, the, the Army 
And it's, this gets back to some degree to the question you, you, you asked before about being competitive. You know, we're not competitive amongst ourselves. I mean, what we're competing against is we're competing against future adversaries. And we're also competing against the need to deter as much as we can. We want to be able to deter conflict. You know, that's the number one thing that we want to be able to do. Um, so there's there's a very strong hunger, I would say, to, to innovate and to, to harness. And, and there's a lot of evidence in these different systems that exist and these organizational changes. I'll give you one one example that, again, goes back in history, and but I think it, it just relates so strongly to data. Um, and, it, and it involves the relationship between, um, you know, the UK and the United States. And during World War II is when they actually started, I would say, truly leveraging data and analytics to make better decisions. So the field of operations research when, when, when we use that term operations research, where that comes from is that comes from military operations. They were researching military operations. And they, they, during World War II, they actually employed all sorts of different scientists and engineers to try to make better decisions. And a couple examples of types of decisions that they made that were data derived. So they changed the formations of the ships and the speeds at which the ships were traversing the Atlantic Ocean all based upon data and it was based upon the patterns of attacks that they were receiving from submarines one other example i'll give you is called the transportation plan and it was a very important plan that preceded the invasion in normandy it was network analysis is what it was because what they needed to understand the threat that we faced there was not about the initial occupation the threat that we faced was about the counterattack and being kicked off of the continent of europe after we seized a foothold. So in order to do that, we had to prevent a counterattack. And the way we prevented that counterattack is by crippling the rail network, which was the primary function that the Germans were going to use for the counterattack. Hmm. Where did we cripple it? Well, we crippled it at specific key nodes that were recognized as the central points for that transportation that would happen. And they did that through analytics. You know, they looked at the analytics. Um, linear optimization was actually founded during World War II. So it, it, it goes back in history. And, and I, I mentioned this just because um, it's very interesting to me. And I always en enjoy uh, bragging about it to a certain extent <laughs> to others uh, about how innovative the armed forces actually is and how much they, they, they do truly embrace technology. And in many cases, we're at the forefront of the actual innovation and invention. Um, and that takes us to where we are today, where once again, there's something very similar that I would characterize as happening. They're, they're, they're hiring executives from some of the largest tech firms in the United States to come into government and to lead our tech you know, organizations. Um, they're investing significantly in these different uh, initiatives. Um, so that's why you know, I think organizationally, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, we get the support from the top, but we also have a culture that is willing to embrace, you know, innovation and, and wants it. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's fascinating. Thank you for for sharing those uh, those stories. It's uh, it's always interesting to hear about, you know, because I guess there's this, um, I guess, perception that data and analytics as as a industry or a domain or whatever you want to call it is is still relatively new, right? And you hear these conversations happen all the time where people say, you know, we're we're still an in compared to finance, we're still a immature. Um, set you know industry, but um, 
you know, we're now talking about how data and analytics was used in <laughs> in World War Two, which is is fascinating. Um, I guess in terms of the kind of incentives for getting on board with this stuff, do, do you think places like the armed services um, is almost just like the perfect storm in some respects, given the fact that, you know, what you're potentially dealing with here is, you know, if the right decisions are made through the use of data, that could win or lose wars, save lives, whatever the case may be, right? Whereas in comparison to, you know, a lot of the guests we have on, you know, those decisions might make or lose several millions of dollars. But, you know, the really what's what's several million dollars in comparison to, to kind of winning and losing wars and saving lives, right? So do you think it's kind of a an environment that kind of harbors that kind of thing anyway, just because of the nature of what you do? Yes. I mean, I, I, I do. Um, you know, I, the, the, one of the things that, uh, that we think about, we have to think about, um, all the time is, is the, the future nature of, of warfare. And when you look at the, you know, the, the tragedy that's happening in Ukraine, um, there's, there's a tremendous amount that we can, we can learn from, from Ukraine. One of the things that's uh, that's uh, public information is is the way that they are making decisions, the way that they are um, harvesting different types of information and organizing that to help them make uh, better decisions. And and I think that what we're going to see in uh, you know the, the the future of warfare and it's definitely something that we have to be very well prepared for is that. Uh, there's going to be um, much more information available. I think that's that that most people would would agree with that. It's it's going to be much more accessible to a much broader audience um, across the world. And with that, what's going to happen is that the the, the speed of decision making is is going to just continue to increase. As that speed increases, what ends up happening is um, big hierarchical structures cannot operate solely as a is a is a huge hierarchy where you have decisions that are made in a strategic way at the top after deliberation and then it funnels down and eventually you have maneuvers and operations that occur. What is going to be necessary is at these lower levels, you're, there's going to be the need to make extremely important decisions. And that's one of the 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 the, the war fighting aspects of of, uh, of data that we're we're thinking about quite a bit is what kinds of information at that level are necessary to be able to make those decisions. Mm. Um, so that's why you know I believe there's a and I, I know actually there's there's a sense of urgency, there's a sense of uh, extreme importance that we we try to get this right with uh you know the, the the network and the data that we make available across the armed forces yeah yeah absolutely um i guess a, another key topic that we have in the industry that's you know hotly debated at the moment is this whole notion of being able to kind of quantify and articulate a return on investment right you know it kind of um it's it's taken center stage over the last 12 to 18 months for for sure and and, and certainly divides opinion um i guess how, how how do you go about um 
showing the value that you create in in an environment which isn't all about the commercials and you know what does roi look like in that type of environment sure um you know i guess i'd start off with something that's relatively um relatively generic and 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 it, it requires a so what at the end of it but i think it's worth actually uh mentioning is that uh you know, what, what we do here, I think, and what everybody does that studies uh, data and analytics is is uh, is we attempt to expose truth. And it's, it's a lot of times it's truth that was previously unknown, but through data and analytics, now we can know it. So now our, 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 our state of knowledge about the world has been improved. So I think that there's inherent value, and I think most folks will recognize value uh, especially when you can expose truth with a dimension of your business, a dimension of your organization uh, that that just was not well known previously. There's there's a, there's value that leaders will see in that because a lot of times leaders are going to need they're going to need to make decisions based upon more of their, their their state of awareness and a lot of qualitative information. But when you can heighten that. You, you've you've created, I think, tremendous value in, in in return. So that's 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 broad. I mean, that and, and I get that that's that's broad. I would I would say if we want to be more refined in the way that we um, measure return on investment, uh, one of the 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 bottom line for the United States military at West Point um, is the product that we create, the officers that um, graduate. Um, that's that's the yep. that's 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 our purpose. Is we want the, to commission. The, the best possible group of officers to, to, to go into the army. Um, when we can find ways to, to measure that to start with, and we've, we've struggled with that actually in the, in the past, we're getting much better at it now. And then when we can actually make a change that we hopefully can attri- then attribute to an improvement in the quality of those officers, that's a very substantial return on investment. It's, 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 it's huge. when we can actually say that, the quality of our product has changed as a function of decisions that we made that were rooted in uh, data and analytics. And then I guess the last uh, the last point I'll make, which is you know somewhat you know it's, it's probably well it, it's significant. It is significant because I mean things do come down. I mean for us they do come down to dollars and cents at times too. We have resources that we have to operate with. Uh, we're we're in a resource constrained environment. We don't have unlimited resources. Um, you know, we're, we're actually, we're a small shop and, uh, and, uh, you know, we try to do the best that we can. I, I can clearly point to different information systems that we've created. I can, I can point to data archiving, uh, initiatives that we have employed and I can put dollar figures on that. I can tell people, Hey, it would cost you this much if you hired a commercial organization to build this for you. And the government does that all the time. We do that mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, so I, I like to do that on occasion to show people and showcase, you know, hey, it's, you know, our small shop built this. This would cost you, you know, X hundred thousand dollars if you wanted to build and maintain that type of system. Yeah, that's that's a that's an ROI that, you know, is very clear to me. Like You didn't have to spend that. Now that's money that you can spend somewhere else for developing leaders character. Mm, yeah. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Makes uh makes perfect sense. I know you've you've spoken a lot throughout this episode about innovation and how the you know the armed services actually are quite innovative and, and really got a, a huge appetite to kind of keep pushing the the boundaries of what's possible and, and moving the needle. Um I guess in your environment, and I'm not too sure whether you're able to to kind of share specifics or you know keep it high level but what what does innovation look like you know are there any specifics or particular types of things that you know you're 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 doing or you're experimenting with um that kind of you know point to that sure um so i mean innovation uh across the the armed services uh, i would i would argue is is uh sometimes it's very deliberate you know when we when we acquire a new system we need a new a new tank, a new jet, a new rifle. It's a very deliberate um, process. Sometimes innovation occurs through intent. You know, we we operate. Uh, you know, trust is is hugely hugely important to us, and and that's why intent works so well. We understand our leaders' intent. They trust us to try to pursue that intent to the fullest extent possible. And oftentimes, innovation becomes a product of that. So that's all. That's a, that's a little bit more indirect. It's not as direct as the previous point that I made, but it's an indirect way that innovation, you know, uh, emerges. Um, you know, so so for example, you know, in in our shop here, you know, the way that that uh, the innovation uh, is has happened is, you know, we've we've tried to understand to the um, to the best extent that we can, you know, what types of gaps exist in our strategy at West Point. And then within those gaps, you have decisions that you can make that try to close the gap. And then when you understand those decisions, now you understand um, what you can actually pursue from a data standpoint to try to you know, address that particular decision. Uh, so I'll give you a couple of, um, couple of hard examples from that. So, so here, here's one that's that's uh, you know v- v- would be a, a very specific. We need to know who's going to graduate from West Point in May. Like we need that list, and that list needs to be accurate. You can't be plus or minus one. It's got to be precise. There was a lot of coordination that occurs to make sure that that happens. Previous method that was used was was actually the emailing of a document through a number of different organizations and the updating of that that document. There's a lot of information that goes into the decisions about specific individuals that can be um, uncertain. You know, it's unclear. Are they going to meet the requirement? Are they not going to meet the requirement? Um, Is this particular situation going to be favorable or unfavorable? you know, for, for that uh, individual, is that individual going to pursue this scholarship or are they going to stay and they're going to um, do something different at the academy? Professional sports is another one. Are they going to pursue a professional sports contract or are they not? All of that eventually has to merge and come together. We have to know precisely who's going to graduate. And so, so that was something that was a, a problem that we identified. Nobody told us to, to attack that problem, but it was very clear to me and looking at that problem, that that's something that could be addressed with with data. Um, so what we ultimately um, ended up creating uh, was a was a really it's an information system, and it's a it boils down to to a website that pulls from a few different data sources and also can receive input from key leaders. 
and it serves as really an adjudication information system. And ultimately, what happens through that adjudication process is for every single individual that we have on the roster, there's a decision that they arrive at. But they arrive at that decision through the accumulation of all sorts of different data and evidence that goes into it. Some of it's hard data, such as what they've achieved at West Point. Some of it is actually opinion based upon leadership about the quality of the, uh, the individual. Sometimes you have medical opinions that, that come into that as well. But it all has to ultimately merge so you can make a decision on that that one person. And this needs to be done in a way where, you know, it's it's archived carefully. Um, you can you can organize, filter, search very quickly. Um, so so that was something that we we achieved really, you know, I would say uh, through intent. Um, we're very fortunate here that we operate under um, an Azure infrastructure. So that's the technology that we uh, have is Microsoft Azure and all the services that are afforded to us through um, Microsoft Azure. Uh, we do a fair bit of work in, in Databricks and most of our structured data is stored in Microsoft SQL Server databases. Um, and then, you know, in terms of uh, the, um, the, the, the user experience, um, every, I prefer that everything is, is, a, is a custom solution that's obviously that's, that's web-based, um, that they can access on any device that authenticates with our network so they can access it anywhere they want to go. But that all of that that I just described in terms of leveraging Azure, using Databricks, you know, developing an ASP.NET, you know, web app, um, you know, those, those are all um, um, innovations that we were, we were never directed to do that. But it, what it stemmed from, quite honestly, and this, this gets into the whole data literacy um, discussion. I know that was something you wanted to, to, to talk about possibly, is I, I have come to believe that as data and analytics professionals, what, what, mat what has to come first and what matters most is not data literacy, is decision literacy. We have to be literate in the decisions that our key leaders and our operators need to make. If we don't have literacy across those decisions, we're gonna be talking about two different things. And I think that quite often you have um, wonderful data and analytics professionals that wanna see their you know, operational folks and their, their leadership team and their management teams become more data literate and use their data more but you have these data and analytics professionals that may not be all that well tied into the decisions that need to be made. And what, what are the business problems that need to be addressed? Because I think that when, when that happens, and this gets back to the, the innovation idea question, when, when decision literacy occurs, now you have data and analytics professionals that are positioned to innovate well, because they're going to be able to innovate something that can address the decisions that matter. They're not going to just create some tool that, you know, is a spin wheel of sorts and creates nice charts, but doesn't provide what they need. So um, that's, you know, I guess a long, you know, circular answer to, you know, sort of uh, how we innovate. Um, a lot of it does, though, it goes back to this idea of culture where we're given extreme latitude. And um, like I said, as long as they continue to, invite us into the room where they're making decisions and, and, and use our products and, and ask us for assistance, then I feel like our, our innovation is moving in a good direction. 
Um, but it's tough to be creative. And it's, it's I mean, innovation and, and creativity is is hard. It's, it's very hard and uh, it requires a lot of thought. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more about your whole point around decision intelligence. I think there's a, uh, unfortunately still an awful lot that goes on in our industry especially in in the commercial world where you know there's there's many organizations out there that are hiring teams of data and analytics people and they're you know they're building all kinds of solutions which are you know they're great they're you know the the, the latest and greatest stuff but it's just not being used in a business and it's because it's not addressing the right question or problem um so you know the and as we all know right unless it's unless it's used unless a decision is made off it and acted upon it's all you know rendered utterly useless right <laughs> however great it might be so it's uh yeah it's a really interesting point you make i guess to finish then paul because i'm conscious of of time and appreciate you're a, a very busy man but in terms of that decision literacy piece then then that'd be a great place to kind of end this what do you do internally to try and upskill that i guess from a data literacy perspective across your institution and then a decision literacy perspective um, within it so um you know when we talk data literacy oftentimes we're referring to a a a shortcoming that exists in in management and you know operational folks and in leaders when when we refer to decision literacy what i'm referring to is a gap that exists in the data and analytics professionals. So the onus is now placed upon us to become more literate in the decisions that need to be made. So it, it becomes an exercise and for, for, for data and analytics professionals to try to become much more aware of the business problems, to have the patience to, uh, uh, and, and, and also the, the interest in building relationships with those that have to make those decisions is hugely, hugely important. Um, you know, if you don't build the relationships with the individuals that are making the decisions, you're, you're just, you're never going to have the intimacy that you need to design these, these different tech solutions that you want to design that can hit the button that they need to hit. It's, you're just going to, you're just going to keep, keep missing. So I am um, a big believer in, in, um, in getting out there and talking to the different organizations as much as possible. And, and oftentimes I, they, they know who I am and what I do and, and, and they think we're going to talk data. And I tell them, I say, I don't want to talk data at all unless you do. I want to talk about your decisions. I want to know about your problems. I want to, you tell me what, what kind of shortcomings exist and what, what, where are your pain points? Where are your friction points? And they'll start talking. And somebody that is a data and analytics professional that has good awareness of the data that exists to support an organization's decisions, they're going to see opportunities. And that's, that's where, you know, you see, you see an opportunity there and you say, I can, you know, and you may not even say it in that meeting, but you make a note and you realize I can, I can answer that question. I mean, there was a meeting I was in yesterday. Um, and let me, let me I got to find a way to, um, to, to phrase this because it is a little bit of a sensitive topic. Um, but what it dealt with was it dealt with trying to understand um, who we were graduating from West Point based upon different prerequisites. And it very quickly, you know, I, I could see that if, if data was organized in a certain way, the answer to that question would become obvious. It would become absolutely obvious. It wasn't being discussed in a data context really at all. 
it was more in a, in a problem context. Um, and, as, and honestly, in the span of the meeting, I was able to just write a quick script that pulled the table together and then showed the, you know, some of the, um, the leaders after the meeting, you know, what the table showed. And, um, you know, that was an example of, of how you being very aware of the decisions and the, and the pain points and the problems that leaders are going through. That's where you're going to then recognize the opportunities to leverage the data and the analytics. So that's where I think. And then last point on this is that's also when you're going to see data literacy emerge, in my opinion, because what's going to happen is, you know, you feed them an analytic that, you know, is a bullseye and they're going to look at that and say, wow, that's incredible. I wonder what, what about this? What about this? And then you start a very fruitful discussion with a key leader about the critical decisions they have, the data that you have that can potentially support those decisions. And then they start to build data literacy and awareness. And they'll say, I've heard them say things like, I didn't realize that you had that. I didn't realize that we archived that kind of information. I didn't realize you had access to officer performance data in the army. Those types of things um, start to emerge. And, um, and then I, I believe that that's when, when data literacy um, starts to grow. Mm, absolutely. What a uh, fantastic point to end on, Paul. It's been a, an absolute pleasure having you on the show, and we really appreciate you giving up your uh, time because we know you're a, a very busy man. But, um, yeah, look, we uh, wish you all the very best in the future, and uh, we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you, Kyle. It's been a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these too. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.